The podcast I'd like to recommend today is the D2C pod brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. The D2C pod is a podcast all about all the things direct to consumer. The hosts cover everything from starting, growing and optimizing e-commerce stores and D2C brands. If you're interested in the stories behind your favorite consumer brands, this is a podcast for you. To start, I'd suggest checking out episode 318, which features the CMO of Feastables. So listen to D2C pod wherever you get your podcasts. Everybody listening to this show has something in common. We have to ask other people for help. (laughs) That's not a surprising statement, but it is true. You have to ask people for help all the time. You have to do it professionally at work and you have to do it socially at home. We all do it. But most of us hate it. In fact, we hate it so much that we go out of our way to avoid doing it. Research in neuroscience and psychology reveals that the social threats involved in asking for something, including the uncertainty, the risk of rejection, the potential diminished status, all of these activate the same part of the brain that physical pain activates. So essentially, it really does hurt to ask for help. This is even worse at work because in the workplace where we're typically keen to demonstrate as much expertise and competence and confidence as possible, it can feel particularly uncomfortable to ask for help. To explore this phenomenon, I'm joined again today by Professor Vanessa Bonds, who has spent the best part of her career researching why it is just so hard to ask people for help. Here's Vanessa explaining the problem. People really, really hate asking for things. And I know this because I have been bringing people into my lab for 15 years and making them go out into the world and ask people for things. And at this point, they've asked 15,000 or more people for different things. And each time I bring people into the lab and tell them, okay, you're going to go out and make requests. You're going to ask someone for favors or you're going to ask them, you know, for donations they get very anxious and sometimes angry, and they are not thrilled with participating in this study. And what I do then is I have them actually go out and do this thing and have the experience of asking. And they often come back to the lab feeling very different, feeling like, oh, wow, that was easier than I expected. More people agreed to do things for me than I expected. And actually they were quite pleasant. So it really wasn't this horrible experience that I had anticipated. As Vanessa says, we hate asking for things. But Vanessa's research suggests that we shouldn't hate it. Because in reality, other people are far more willing to help us than we think. And so in a typical study... What I do is I bring participants into the lab and I tell them, you know, you're going to go out and ask people to borrow their cell phones, for example, and you're going to make a call back to the lab to show us that you actually got people's cell phones. And before they go out and do that, we say, how many people do you think will agree to this request? Then they go out and they do it and they keep track of how many people actually agree. And what we find is often their intuitions are much more negative than reality. So people tend to agree twice as often as our participants expect, and they have a much better experience of asking for things than they thought that they would when they went into the task. In general, we underestimate how likely people are to agree to our requests by 200%. People agree to our requests twice as often 
as we think. But it's not just cell phones people happily hand over when they're asked. Vanessa says people agree to do all sorts of things. Here's Vanessa talking through the types of things people agree to when they're asked. We have had people ask for just basic surveys. So we started out really small. We said, you're going to go out into campus and ask people to fill out a brief survey. And so they went out, they asked people to fill out a survey. And in that case, they thought people would be twice as likely to refuse to do this survey for them as people actually were. Uh, In another study, we had our participants ask people to take them to a location on campus that we were told we told them to say they were having trouble finding. And so we did this on the Columbia University campus in New York City. And the gym is actually really hard to find there. It's kind of underground. It's in the corner of campus. You could easily walk by it and miss it. And so we brought our participants three blocks away from the gym and we had them go up to random strangers and say, I haven't been able to find the gym. Will you please just walk me over there and show me where it is? And we had them guess how many people they would have to ask before one person agreed to do this for them. And in this case, they overestimated how many rejections they would get by about twice as much. So what they found was that actually every other person they approached, so 50% of the people they approached were completely happy to walk them over to the gym and show them where the entrance was. In another study, we teamed up with an organization called Team and Training, and this is part of the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, and basically you raise money to participate in a race like a triathlon or a marathon, and you ask people to sponsor you, and you get these sponsorships. And we had over 100 people who are already participating in this fundraising organization. We had them guess how many people they would have to ask to reach their fundraising goals. And their goals were usually in the thousands of dollars. And what we found in that study was they thought they would have to ask about 200 people to reach their fundraising goal. When they actually did it, they only had to ask about 100 people. So once again, they overestimated the difficulty of completing this task by asking people for things by about twice as much. From basic surveys to charitable donations, people seem to say yes much more than we'd expect. It got me wondering, Is there anything out there that bucks the trend? Is there anything that participants asked for that was always met with a resounding no? I asked Vanessa. So when we do face-to-face requests, we actually have always found this pattern. It doesn't really matter how big the request is. So we've varied, for example, the size of the survey that someone would have to complete from a one-page easy survey to like a packet of questionnaires that someone would have to complete. And our participants who were asking thought that was going to make a big difference, that people would only really agree to the shorter survey. But in fact, once again, more people agreed than our participants expected. And that was true across the board for both the large survey and the smaller survey. The only time we've actually found the opposite effect is when people ask via email. So when we ask people face-to-face, we get a really consistent finding that people are more likely to say yes than we think. But when you ask over email, we get the complete opposite. People are actually more likely to say no than we think. And it really shows how this is truly a sort of face-to-face phenomenon that you can't replicate just by sending an email. So email is especially bad when asking someone for something. But what about other forms of communication like phone calls and Zoom? If you want to get 
a yes, and that's your main goal, then I definitely would stay away from email. Uh, we have new studies as well where we compare email to Zoom and the phone and in-person requests. And we find a clear hierarchy between these requests. So face-to-face -face is the best for getting a yes, hands down. Um, Zoom and the phone, are not as good as face-to-face, -face, but they are still much, much better than email. And email is the absolute worst way to ask for things to get a yes. And you can think about why. I mean, email, you don't even have to say no, right? You can just completely ghost someone and not reply and pretend that you didn't see it. You can take your time to reply in a way where you feel good about the no and you feel comfortable. Uh, you're not sort of put on the spot. And so there's lots of reasons that email just is not nearly as effective as these other sorts of methods. Now, many of you hearing this probably can't help but think of the famous Milgram study from the 60s. This was conducted at Yale by Professor Stanley Milgram. And in the study, participants were asked to electrocute fellow participants when they incorrectly answered questions. The participants started by sending small, almost harmless electric shocks, but as their fellow participants got more questions wrong, the Yale professors asked them to keep increasing the voltage of the shocks. These shocks increased in intensity to a point where the participant being shocked begged the fellow participant to stop. But they didn't. In fact, these participants continued to increase the voltage until the other participant appeared to have a heart attack as a result of the shocks. The entire time, the experimenter stood behind the participant giving the shocks in a white lab coat, only saying, please continue, or the experiment must go on. It's shocking, and, and the alarming statistic that you'll hear if you read about this study is that 65% of the participants continued to give shocks right up until the full voltage. Now, I should say, if you are worried about this study, the participants who were receiving the shocks were actors. They weren't actually receiving the electric shocks, but the, the real participants who were giving the shocks, they had no idea about this. So the, the fact that they were giving those high voltage shocks was, was genuine. And it is a really scary finding, and it may make you question the humanity of those participants, but in a way, it shouldn't. Vanessa's findings show that it is really hard to say no. It is much harder than we think, especially to a Yale professor. But why is it so hard to say no? Why do we struggle to turn people down when they ask us face to face? So I find this to be one of the most interesting aspects of these findings is that you can look at the fact that more people agree to our requests for favors than we think as this really positive thing because people, oh, they're more willing to help us than we think. And that is true to a point. But the reason that people agree, what we find is that it's actually really hard to say no. And it's really easy for us to sort of remember how hard it is to get a no, to be rejected, right? When you're rejected, you're sort of pushed away from the group. It's incredibly distressing. We're evolutionarily wired to want to maintain social connections and make sure that we're not being excluded from the group. So rejection is super painful. But we forget that it's also really hard to do the rejecting, to be the person who's actually the one saying no for all of the same reasons. So saying no is also 
breaking a potential social connection, right? It's suggesting to the other person that actually maybe, you know, we're not as close as you thought that we were. Maybe, you know, what you're asking for isn't appropriate or I don't really want to help you. And that's a really awkward, uncomfortable situation for someone to be in. You can imagine a situation where someone's standing in front of you asking for something, you have to find the words to say why you're saying no, right? We try to say it in a way that saves face for other people. We try to say it in a way that makes us still look like good people. And it's really, really hard. And it's really, really awkward. Finding a service solution that helps you better connect with customers and keep them happy can feel impossible. It's like trying to remember the name of someone you've just met at a networking event. I've made this mistake before, introducing a colleague to my new friend Dan, only to find out his name was actually Ian. Being personal with your customers is important, but keeping on top of all that information can be very hard. That's where HubSpot's all-new service hub comes in. It brings service and success together on one powerful platform for the first time ever. It's got an AI-powered help desk and an AI-powered chatbot that handles frontline tickets fast. Plus, it comes with a customer success workspace that helps reps anticipate customer needs. Plus, it never forgets a first name. All of that can help you scale support and drive retention and revenue. That means better service and happier customers at every stage of the journey. Visit hubspot.com service to do more for your customers today. In Vanessa's book, You Have More Influence Than You Think, she shares a study from Samantha Joel, a relationships researcher. In this study, single heterosexual participants were asked to select their favourite profile from a set. These were a set of other people they were looking at to see if they would want to date them. One group was told the dating profiles were fictional, while the other group were told the dating profiles were real and they were, that they were written by actual participants taking part in the same study. Participants were then shown a photo of their least favourite person, so the one they said they were least likely to go on a date with from the set. Then they were asked, would you be willing to exchange your contact information with this person in order to arrange a date? Now you'd expect most people would be likely to say no. After all, they've said this is my least favourite person to go on a date with. And when participants thought the dating profiles were purely hypothetical, when they thought they were made up, only 16% said yeah, I'll go on a date with this person. However, when the participants were told it was a real person, when they thought it was a person taking part in that study, 37% of participants, that's two times as many, agreed to exchange their contact information. I think this is a vital point for us marketers to remember. These participants were two times more likely to say yes when they thought they were talking to a real person. It's a really interesting study which shows how influential real people really are. All right, now we're going to get on to the, my favourite part of this episode. So, would you vandalise a library book? <laughs> Probably most people listening would say no, I wouldn't. But it turns out the majority of people in Vanessa's study said they would. Here's why. Yeah, this is probably my favorite study that I've ever conducted. And it really gets at this idea that it's not just about being nicer than we tend to think, and that's why people agree to things, but it really does come down to this fact that people find it so hard to say no to the point where they actually agree to things that they'd rather not do. And so to test this, my graduate students and I took a bunch of books off my bookshelf 
and we made them look like library books. So we put these numbers on the spines of them so that they looked exactly like the books from the libraries on campus. And we had participants come into the lab, just like in our other studies. And we told them, you're gonna go into libraries with these books that look like library books. And you're gonna ask people to vandalize these books. You're gonna go up to random people sitting there in the library and say, I'm playing a prank on my friend, but they know my handwriting. Will you please just write the word pickle and pen in this library book? And then they were to hand over the library book, the purported library book, of course, not real, no library books were harmed in the making of the study, um, and a pen and see what people did. And not surprisingly, when we asked people, how many people do you think are going to agree to this? They thought most people would say no, right? They thought clearly no one's going to agree to vandalize a library book. But when they actually went out and made this request, what they found is that most people actually agreed to do it. So over 60% of the people they asked actually agreed to write pickle and pen on a library book. And it wasn't because you know they didn't care or they didn't think it was a big deal because we also had our participants record the kinds of things that people said in response to this request. And people would say things like, I don't know if we should be doing this. I think this is wrong. You know, this is vandalism. I hope we don't get into trouble. So they were clearly sort of concerned about doing this thing and they didn't want to do it. But as much as they felt uncomfortable with the idea of vandalizing a library book, they found it even more uncomfortable to say no in the moment. Now, this should have shocked me. 64% of people agreeing to vandalize a library book. It should be shocking. But hearing Vanessa talk through study after study where people find it so hard to say no, I don't think I was surprised when I actually heard this. But it did get me thinking, are there any other ridiculous things that people agreed to simply because a stranger had asked them face to face? I think it's probably the most ridiculous, although we have some recent studies uh, with a slightly different format where we've asked people to hand over their smartphones and unlock them for us and let us look through them. And we actually tell them we're gonna look through their web browsing history. And when we ask people, would you do this, right? Would you hand over to a random experimenter of your same age, basically, uh, you know, in this case, it was another student. Uh, would you hand your phone over and let them look at your web browsing history? Most people say, absolutely not. Right? They feel really uncomfortable with that idea. But when we actually ask them to do it, over 90% just hand over their phone and let someone search their phone, which we don't actually do, but they think that we're doing. And so that's another case where people really think that they're going to say no, uh, and they don't realize the pressures in that moment of saying no, the awkwardness, the discomfort, and sort of struggling to find the words is so much more difficult than we tend to think. And it's funny, we have these funny stories of people who randomly confess things that they just searched, just like weird things. Like, I, just so you know, I just searched, you know, how tall Peppa Pig is. That was one of them. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they'll still hand over their phone. And instead of saying no, they wind up making these confessions. And in other cases, we've walked out with their phone. And when we come back, they've stood up and they're about to come out and say like, oh, you know, actually, I don't want to, or what are you doing with my phone? You know, they kind of thought twice about it. But again, in that moment, it's just so hard to find the words. And it really kind of speaks to how our default is not to push back. Our default is to be agreeable. 
it's not to be disagreeable and say no, despite, you know, sort of the ideas a lot of us have that that is people's default. To finish up, I wanted to ask Vanessa if we should strive to say no, to stop agreeing to everything and actually start to turn other people down. Here's what Vanessa thinks. I do think there are a lot of situations where we should say no more. The thing that I always recommend is that we should be more mindful about what we say yes to. I think that's really the problem as opposed to having some sort of idea of we should be saying no, you know, 20% more of the time or something. It's more that often we agree to things in the moment because we haven't given ourselves a chance to really think about it, to come up with a decision uh, when we're not put on the spot and to come up with the words to be able to say no, if that's what we decide we want to do, where we feel okay about it. We feel like we're not hurting the other person and we feel like, you know, we're not damaging that relationship in any way. And so what I think that people need to do is buy themselves that time and space to be able to actually consider whether we want to say yes or no, and then make that decision as opposed to kind of in the moment saying yes, because that's the default. And I think in that case, we do agree to things we'd rather not. Okay, folks, that's all we've got time for today. I really hope you enjoyed this episode because I absolutely loved chatting with Vanessa about her work. I hope by now you are convinced to pick up a copy of her book, You Have More Influence Than You Think. It really is a fantastic read and it shares heaps more wisdom on all the topics we've talked about over this show and the show before. Obviously, if you haven't listened to that show previously, do go back and listen to that one because it's another show of Vanessa and it's another fascinating insight to the influence that we have. Now, in today's show, we have highlighted a few tips and tricks that might be useful for your marketing, things like using a person rather than a brand to ask for things. And if you like this tip, then you probably like the other tips that I send out in my weekly nudge newsletter. So if you want tips like that on how to apply behavior science to your marketing, then click the link in the show notes or go to nudgepodcast.com and click newsletter in the menu. You can sign up there. It takes five seconds to sign up and you can unsubscribe at any time if it's not for you as always you can follow me on twitter i'm p underscore agnew there that's p underscore a g n e w and i'm on linkedin at phil agnew on there i respond to all the messages i get so if you have any feedback or thoughts or questions go on one of those and give me a shout please do subscribe to nudge wherever you listen to the show and i will see you again in two weeks for another episode cheers